Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. My guest today is Francesco Marconi. He's the co-founder and CEO of Applied Excel and the author of the book Newsmakers, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Journalism. Francesco served as the R&D chief at the Wall Street Journal, leading a team of data scientists and computational journalists in developing AI-driven newsroom tools. Previous to that, he spearheaded AI strategy at the Associated Press and was instrumental in their content automation efforts. Francesco has been an affiliate researcher at the MIT Media Lab and a TOE fellow at Columbia University. On Tuesday, he testified as one of the AI experts before the UK Parliament Committee on Large Language Models. In today's episode, Francesco emphasizes the importance of collaboration between tech companies and news organizations for AI product development. We discuss the impact of news data on the AI sector and evaluate the risks of generative AI search. Francesco also shares how his AI company, Applied Excel, pioneered the first language model that is rooted in journalistic principles and designed for the biotech industry. Hi, Francesco. Welcome to Newsroom Robots. I'm really excited to have you here. I've been a huge fan of your work. Hi, Nikita. Thank you for having me. Likewise, I love the, the podcast. So glad to be here. Thanks, Francesco. Your book, actually, Newsmakers, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Journalism, was one of the main books that really helped me contextualize how to think about AI and how it's been adopted in the newsroom in the past. And I'm really looking forward to touch upon some of the concepts that you've spoken of over there. And I also want to touch upon your past experience leading AI efforts at the Associated Press and the Wall Street Journal. But to start off, we're recording this just a few days before you are about to give a public testimony to the UK Parliament on the impact of large language models on the news industry. And so I'd like to actually start the conversation there to get your thoughts and your take on this current era of generative AI that we are in. How should we be thinking about it, especially as folks in the news industry What's different about the stage that we are in and what's your message about large language models? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important to first frame it in terms of, you know, what's the potential and the opportunities and also what are the limitations to these language models and how journalists can contribute to mitigating some of those limitations. But broadly speaking, if you think about AI in the context of news, it can really help solve two major problems, which is the need for more news coverage 
and also the current limitations in terms of human capacity. So looking at AI as a tool for augmentation and also a tool for streamlining and enhancing current journalistic workflows from news gathering, production and distribution. And so that's sort of the the impact to aim for. The reality is that large language models still have some key limitations that make it challenging to implement in the in all steps of the news process. And so being aware of those limitations is really important, not only as we think about what are the best applications for for these systems, but also how do we mitigate those risks. And those risks are, there are many, but two key risks are the fact that there is a recency constraint. So large language models often lack a real-time event understanding and, and that's due to their data training cutoff. So if you think about GPT or any of these big AI systems, they are trained up until a certain point in time. So if you're trying to use it to help with research on something that happened last week, those models are not able to do that. So the question here is, how can news organizations solve this problem in recency? And in other words, how do you ground the model in real-time data, in real-world data that has happened in a recent period? And then the second component to, to think about, and perhaps the one that people are the most aware of, is accuracy concerns. So as the name indicates, these are large models trained on a variety of, of content and that means that they do a good job articulating thoughts and sounding like humans. But when it comes to providing really high accuracy information, they fall short. And so one thing to consider here is how do you take these models and fine tune them or ground them in very specific domains? And so we'll, we'll be talking about all of these different techniques for uh, fine tuning models and refining them. But one thing to keep in mind is I don't think there's a large language model that that can be applicable across all the verticals or the bits. Instead, I think the future is actually developing highly specialized models that can assist with certain tasks. So thinking about these AI systems as bit reporters as opposed to the editor-in-chief, if you will. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the view I feel every department, probably every newsroom has something, a specialized, localized, large language model that speaks to their voice, speaks to their tone and is grounded in facts that they have trained it upon. But also at the same time, one of the biggest concerns in the industry right now and that's preventing people from using it is all of this talk around copyright issues and that the data was trained on them every Again, today, GPT had a lawsuit against them filed for being trained on copyright data on a lot of authors' work. How should we be thinking about using LLMs with all of these copyrights concerns? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so perhaps we can start talking about like, what are the practical applications of LLMs if those problems of IP and copyright didn't exist and then we can actually touch on those areas. And so, as you mentioned, you could imagine a future where publishers integrate these LLMs across their different areas. And in fact, I think sooner or later, all newsrooms will have some sort of AI assistant to support them in different tasks. I think it will be as commonplace as you using a, a copy edit check or something like that. And so, Thinking about that future, we should be thinking about like the three areas of news gathering, production and distribution. And so currently LLMs aren't, are not very proficient reporters, meaning you can really rely on them to collect data that is grounded in facts that is accurate. So that's one problem to solve. As it relates to production, I see these LLMs as an editor. So when it comes to repurposing existing content, or creating different versions, or coming up with proposals for different story angles, if the input is accurate, so either an article you already wrote or a press release, I think that's right now for production, that's, that's what LLMs are very well suited for. And then the distribution component is thinking about, are there new ways 
that people will interact with information specifically as it relates to conversational interfaces. In other words, can I talk to the news article as opposed to, to read it? And so the limitations that I pointed at LLM is not a good reporter also highlight innovation opportunities, which is the idea of creating LLMs that are grounded in facts and can process data in real time, which is very exciting. And there's a lot of research that is pointing into the direction of LLMs being able to do that. But we also have to address the underlying issue that you brought up initially, which is the tension that exists between the AI makers and the publishers. And the reality is that the momentum that we are seeing in AI and all the innovation that uh, these tech companies are, are developing leans heavily on news data. And so these models are trained on, on uh, corpuses of, of data. And one of the most important corpuses of, of that data are news articles. And so we have to think about what's the model of compensation. So if a tech company is using an article that has been uh, produced by a newsroom that has invested substantial resources in generating that data, there should be a financial compensation for it. Because the broader issue is that we need healthy and sustainable news industry in order for AI to be successful in the long term. Because the news industry is the supplier of high quality data that makes these models smarter, makes the language nuanced, makes the reasoning and the presentation of ideas effective. And so there's legal concerns as it relates to IP, but there's also concerns that are related to the business model. We have seen, you know, some encouraging partnerships being announced where tech companies are licensing the data from news publishers, which is a great first step, but there's also some challenges there. So first of all is that large news organizations are in a better position to negotiate those deals with the big tech companies, but that leaves the smaller or local newsrooms in a difficult position because they don't have the bargaining power that big companies have. And then the second issue is the business model itself, right? So if you structure it as um, a licensing model, that means that you're paying a news organization a certain amount of time for access to an archive of data. And perhaps you'll structure these types of deals three years, four years, five years, and so on. But once those partnerships come to their expiration date, then there's a, a reduced incentive to continue the partnership because the learning that is derived from that large corpuses of data, you'll, as an AI company, you'll derive most value of it from that first training set. And that's why it's important to think about innovations on the business model, including things like royalties, where you're sharing the upside of the success of the AI language model, as opposed to licensing, which the risk of licensing is that it could be a one-time payment and then there's no really guarantees that the news organization will continue to receive the upside from helping the AI company build IP from their data. I completely agree with you on that. I'm glad to hear somebody else resonating uh, this thought because licensing seems to be a one-off, whereas a model just needs to be really trained on these data once and they learn everything. And so the whole business model innovation, it's not the same as licensing content to like the Associated Press licensing their content to a news partner. And it's a completely different ball game, basically with an AI company, because they don't do, they don't work the same way as another news publisher. And so how are you really thinking about, let's say, the collaboration between tech companies and news organization? What's happening currently of them giving money to a lot of journalism organizations, doing the licensing deal with the Associated Press? How do you see this partnership playing out and what would be the ideal future for you that would help both the tech companies as well as help the news organizations sustain through this AI era? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, I think the, the deals that you mentioned are a great first step, but I think we should be also thinking about more sustainable models. And so as we were discussing, AI's training relies on this really high quality 
human data that news organizations have invested substantial resources. And so a reduced investment in quality journalism affects both the media industry and society, but also the AI sector directly. So we shouldn't be just thinking about like short-term deals, licensing deals. We should be thinking about broader relationships. And so there are some models emerging. I think a model to look at is uh, Shutterstock's Creators Fund. Essentially, if you're a creator that contributes to Shutterstock and your content ends up being used for training data, you will receive compensation for that. And so having the frameworks in place are really important. And um, because as you were saying, post this initial training, AI companies might lose the incentive to renew data access agreements. And so we should be thinking about these new models that are, you know, focused on equity as in equality in, in the in the upside and royalty models are, are also um, an area that we should be considering. But we can just say, okay, it's, it's a matter of a business model. I think there's also a question about collaboration and coordination. And the example that I sometimes use is if you think about the introduction of a disruptive innovation in the news industry in the 1800s, which was the Telegraph, it led in 1846 five news companies in New York to come together, leverage that technology called the Telegraph and build a new news co-op that is now called the Associated Press. And so AI today offers a, a similar collaboration opportunity where news organizations can come together to define these guidelines for how to make their content available and actually streamline the access to, to this content and have like the proper infrastructure for tech companies, specifically startups, independent developers, researchers, to be able to use this data without worrying about, you know, IP and, and liability. And so if you create those systems or that their way of organizing the, the data from the ground up, that has a pretty big impact on both the ability for a company, for a news company to monetize that data if those models eventually become successful, but also to control how their data is being used. For this to work, we'll need some sort of regulation or policy guidelines specifically around transparency and methodology disclosure. And that's, you know, something that um, you'll see governments and policymakers really discussing and reflecting on how to best do that without stifling innovation. And what do you say would be like your message to governments who are working on building AI regulation? How do we balance both the innovation and not stifle it basically through strict regulation? But at the same time, as a news industry, we are also providing the data to them how should government basically play a role in responsible AI? Yeah, I think one of the key areas of focus is on the need for transparency. And that has implications on many different areas. Not only the end consumer that needs to know how a certain piece of content or AI generated information was derived, but also it's a way for the models that I was just describing to really work. Because if you don't know how the data is being used, what percentage of your data is used, how it impacts or improves the model, then it's really difficult to quantify the value for both news organizations and the tech companies that are paying for it. And then the other thing to, to think about is also differentiating the players in AI or at what step of the process is an AI company deploying their AI. So think about this in, in two ways or in two steps. So one is the upstream developers. So those that are creating the AI models. And so these are typically the, you know, the large tech companies. And then you have the distributors and the, the companies that build on top of, of those AI models. It would be much easier to think about regulation if there was this clear distinction between upstream developers and the distributors of AI. But the reality is that tech companies that build the foundational models are also now becoming distributors. 
specifically when it comes to search engines, where you're searching for a particular topic and you're seeing a summary that was machine generated. And so how do we think about accountability and liability in that realm? So while human editors face consequences for their mistakes, how do you do that for an AI? And so we need to focus on creating regulations that offer clarity in AI training biases and, and standards. And, um, you know, the broader debate specifically in the U.S. is that right now large language models and the content that they generate exist in sort of a legal gray zone as it relates to Section 230, which protects tech companies from liability from user-generated content. And so in the age of machines, the question to answer is, is this content considered user-generated content or is it actually something that the company produced? And so if we consider that it's not user-generated content, then the liability falls on the company deploying the AI. And you can think about these AIs as editors. And so if AIs become editors, you need to have these principles of transparency, accuracy in putting in practice in the AI system itself. And this links us back to the importance of collaboration between the tech sector and the news organizations, which is to really reflect journalistic values in the AI training process. And the reason for that is also to reduce exposure of, you know, liabilities and, and all of these issues that we have been discussing. So what's your vision in terms of when you're talking about integrating journalistic integrity and principles into large language models? What does that look like? Well, right now we think about this relationship between news and tech companies as news being the supplier of, of data for training and that's it. But it's way beyond that. So we should be using journalists' knowledge and ethics as part of the training process. And so there's these, there's innovation around the concept of constitutional AI, which is you draft a constitution, so guidelines for which the model should rule itself. You can call this, you know, in the realm of journalism, editorial AI. So training the AI system on the standards and ethics of a newsroom. And that's a completely different thing than just simply showing news articles and say, okay, try to replicate this structure or how this sentence is presented. And so there's the component of including uh, journalistic guidelines to govern how AI produces content. And then equally important is this idea of creating human checkpoints and humans in the loop. So a lot of these models are focused on reinforcement learning, which is basically using preference data. So a human will select what version of the output is most relevant or most accurate. And so using reinforcement learning with human feedback. And in this case, editors have the knowledge and the background and the training to be great contributors to, to this process of training AI. So again, I would think about it in these two areas, which is creating, also using the journalistic guidelines, rule books, and, um, and standards as part of the model training, and then thinking about bringing editors and journalists as part of the human in the loop process. It's a part that I've not thought about as much where generative AI search experience, the consequences are there for publishers in terms of taking away traffic, but there's a huge consequence actually for the audience and for people because one of the main concepts that we teach people in digital media literacy is lateral reading, right? You look and look at multiple different information, triangulate and figure out what's the source if it's correct. But now if generative AI search is really giving you the information and deciding what the information is and that's what people read, the consequences for just society as a whole becomes quite dire and it's important for tech people, for the tech industry to also be responsible and have those ethics in play. But what do you see the role of the news industry really in educating people and having them more educated in understanding AI and the importance of the news industry in this current state? What do you bring up is very important, which is 
the risks of generative AI search as it relates to the public's understanding of current events. And so as tech giants in search engines implement these summaries to their products, they are taking over some of the responsibilities that were traditionally held by human journalists that are trained to offer these multiple perspectives. If suddenly it's a machine simply taking multiple sources and summarizing, we'll lose nuance, the readers will lose nuance, and there will be sort of a homogenization of journalistic voices. And rather than incentivizing on a particular subject to have the reader go deeper, go to a source, then triangulating with a different source that they might know that there's, there's always a different angle, these news snippets may limit the audience exposures to a range of viewpoints and, and perspectives. And so that's sort of like the high level negative impact that has to be mitigated. The second level layer of impact is the economic impact. So if a search engine simply provides an answer, it offers a reduced incentive for the reader to go deeper, clicking to the article, which has consequences in, you know, advertising revenue and also lead generation for, for subscriptions. And so going back to what I was thinking about the AI ecosystem as the developers of AI and the deployers of AI, tech companies are assuming those two roles and therefore they have to prioritize balanced representation, think about transparency and bring journalists on board as part of that process of thinking out to accurately present the information and, and offer different viewpoints. So there's this impact on society and the impact on literacy, as you mentioned, but also there's a much deeper economic impact. And as I've been saying, for the AI sector to thrive in the long term and have really high quality data to continue to improve their models, we need a strong and sustainable news sector. And as you're saying that the tech companies are developers and the deployers of AI right now, and we need that collaboration for them to bring journalists and bring the journalism industry on board. But is there something that the news industry should proactively be focusing on in terms of like the tech and being part of developing and deploying AI? Or is that something that we should just leave to the AI companies and work on collaborating with them? No, I mean, I think in ideal world, news organizations should develop their own models. And so the question here is, obviously there's a cost associated with it, but there are ways to build or fine-tune models that are scalable. And as we see, you know, a lot of innovation in compute and so on, that there will be more approachable. And, um, you know, news organizations should not just simply be spectators of this AI boom. And the reason for that is that, well, they have the wrong. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. On material, the gold mine that feeds the AI ecosystem, which is the data, but they also have the journalistic standards and principles to make these AIs become really accurate. And so if you think about what flavor, if you will, news organizations can bring to the AI is accuracy-focused AI. And so that's in an ideal world. The reality is that very few news and information companies are in a position to train a model from scratch. Perhaps I think one of the few cases of that is Bloomberg uh, has a lot of financial resources that train their 
their model called Bloomberg GPT, but you don't need to train a model from scratch. And I think that's the beauty and opportunity with open source models where you can take a pre-trained model, download it into your system to mitigate risks of data privacy and so on, and then apply different methodologies related to fine tuning, which is the process of, in simple words, showing more specific examples of what you want the AI to sound like. And then related to that, there's the methodology of grounding. So taking this open source large language model and ground it in, in real time or grounded in, in factual information. And so, you know, think about actual data, you know, sports data, financial data, elections and, and so on. So the costs of having your own trained model are still high, but they are going down. And then the second thing is the knowledge. How do you how do you do this? And, you know, I think that's where collaboration with the tech sector comes into play. But ideally, the news industry should be the market leaders in high accuracy AIs. I absolutely agree with that because I feel like if you also look at different sectors, a lot in the consulting groups, just today, the Boston Consulting Group also announced a partnership with Anthropic, which is another company like OpenAI, to work on their model to synthesize, research, analyze data. They're using a lot of large language models to ground it in their own company data. And something similar, if you like, focus on the news industry, looking at how other industries are working and collaborating with tech companies, the news industry is sitting on, as you said, a gold mine of data, we can focus and instead of having to spend the resources on building an entire new model, take all of these pre-trained models, fine-tune it, ground it in our own data and be able to build it from there. But I think one of the other big concerns that people are having is the fear about the role of journalists and human journalists. I have to add that adjective now of like changing, you know, and you were part of AP when you were natural language generation was starting to be introduced into writing articles at AP, financial articles. How are you seeing that concern translating today to generative AI? Is there a different nuance to what generative AI is bringing to the table and if people are going to have their own AI models and fine-tuning them to, say, write articles, how should they be thinking about the role of what the journalists and the editorial team would be playing in there? Yeah, I mean, right now there's a lot of buzz and huge attention as it relates to large language models and AI and emphasis on these experimentations by news companies that didn't necessarily turn out to be error-free. But the reality is that news organizations have been using language models, not the modern ones, for more than 10 years, including the Associated Press, which sort of pioneered this approach. Experiments started in 2012 and then deployment around 2013. So with the industry has had like 10 years to really develop, you know, standards and policies in place to make sure that the systems are, you know, are accurate. But the modern large language models outscale, if properly applied and trained, can outscale the, the old school natural language generation approaches that are rules-based content generation engines. And the opportunity here is that there's much more adaptability. So these language models can adapt to different scenarios that were not captured in the templates that you used to have to create for NLG and um, can produce, you know, very diverse linguistic outputs to really match the style and the tone of, of the news organization. So I think LLMs have a much more profound impact and influence than their predecessors. And, you know, that means that there are jobs that will naturally be at risk. So roles that are related to copy editing, versioning, curation are at risk. But I don't think news organizations should be looking at this as an opportunity for reducing the, the workforce. Quite the opposite. I think newsrooms should pivot by retraining these highly specialized roles that are thinking about language and apply them to become sort of algorithmic uh, or AI editors to help fine tune these models that sooner or later will become prevalent in every news organization. And so there's a big opportunity of 
including the, um, these roles that are at risk of automation and adjusting and adapting them for these human in the loop and algorithmic auditing roles. But, you know, as with anything else, there's disruption for certain types of jobs, but there's also lots of emerging roles from automation editors, computational journalists, newsroom tool managers. And, you know, I think it's um, a really exciting opportunity, but I recognize that there's a lot of uncertainty and as human beings, we don't like uncertainty. I like the point of like helping retrain and see what the skills are that people are probably at risk or that AI could help with and we could disrupt that and be able to train them to help more new roles. So another key point I wanted to touch upon was when I was reading your book, I came across the concept of iterative journalism and you were talking about how AI could possibly help produce what you were terming as like minimal viable stories and for certain types of coverage and help really using AI to help provide a more comprehensive understanding of what a community cares about and be able to delve more into that with the journalistic work. How are you seeing generative AI playing a role and the opportunity of using generative AI to more deeply understand what our community cares about and producing stories for them? Yeah, so the concept that I presented in the book around the iterative journalism was trying to answer the question, how can we test new areas of coverage or new verticals in a very cost-efficient way and in a way that we are putting the audience first? And so it, it draws from sort of best practices from design thinking where you have this iterative incremental approach to improving a product. And so with, you know, large language models, the opportunity here is that you can experiment with new formats, new areas of coverage, new ways of framing the story in a much more effective way. So let's take a simple example where you want to test a new format for an article from the traditional inverted pyramid article to a more structured bullet point driven article. So think about like Axios invented this, uh, this really nice format or BuzzFeed created the listicles and really innovated on format. And so you can think about large language models as a playground to help you with those, not only create different scenarios, different formats, but then doing it so in a very efficient way to the point where you can actually test it with an audience, get engagement data and make a data-driven decision, not only based on whether that, that content meets editorial standards, but also how is your readership reacting to it? And so this technology now accelerates our ability to test and experiment and doing it in a much more methodical, scientific way, which you develop an hypothesis, you come up with a concept and then you publish it, you collect data and then you, you improve it. So it's really about accelerating the process of, of experimentation as it relates to storytelling. And because generative AI has been trained on so much of the data from like large language and understanding with will help us produce more complex articles and test things out more quickly through that entire phase and help us reach more audience possibly there, right? And I want to shift focus a bit onto the work that you're currently doing, which has really informed, I'd say, your whole perspective on how you're thinking about large language models because you're on the cutting edge of using AI at your company, Applied Excel. Talk to me more about really the mission behind Applied Excel and how have you been using AI to find the news and have you have using LLMs in your work? Yeah, so... From my experience at the AP and the Wall Street Journal, and in fact, you know, there's uh, several members of the team who I had the pleasure to work with at the journal. So what we were doing there was focusing on these two frontiers of AI, one for news gathering and event detection. So, you know, identifying data sources that are always changing and using AI to detect what's a noteworthy change using sort of editorial values. And we call these editorial algorithms. So think about a sh public database like the congressional record or data from the FDA or really any, sorts, any sort of data that is always changing and observing for those shifts in the data and then classifying those shifts as being what they are and also whether they are an important event based on editorial values that 
we have injected into the model. And then the second sort of area of work from our previous background was to then turn those signals into stories. And so through language generation. And so in early 2020, my partner and I left the Wall Street Journal. So I was the R&D chief there. He was the automation editor. And we set this pretty ambitious vision of leveraging the methodologies of computational journalism to build a new type of information company that leverages AI, but is based on editorial processes. And so a lot of our focus has been on innovating as it relates to leveraging these emerging AI uh, methodologies and being able to process real-time, accurate, fact-based information. And so, as we were talking about earlier, a big limitation of, of AIs, of large language models, is recency. So how do I give the AI knowledge of current events and then accuracy? And so the way to address those two issues is to build systems that seamlessly connect real-time data with language models. And then rather than think about this all-encompassing language model, focus on micro models that become sort of your beat reporters. And so in fact, we have a very ambitious vision, which it's not easy to, to pull off, but it's something that we truly believe, which is to build a self-gathering new system that can create can source information much more reliably and consistent. In order for us to get to this grand vision, we have to start with very specific areas and verticals. And so the first one that we are concentrating in is biotech and healthcare. And for that, we have partnered with a leading news organization in the space, which is Stat News. And we are looking at data related to drug development, biotech, clinical trials, and monitoring all of these databases for shifts, classifying those shifts. And then if those events trigger an, a certain newsworthiness score, we then generate a report. So think about it as a modern day, highly specialized newswire that from start to finish, there's human plus AI intervention. And so our monetization strategies, while journalists at Stat and others utilize our tools, the primary revenue stream comes from actually catering to professionals in industries that have a lot of, you know, budget. So as I mentioned, in life sciences and healthcare, we are serving large pharma companies, biotech hedge funds, and sort of the growth model is to then replicate this success across other industries. And so by starting with something as complex as drug development, clinical trials, that has forced us to innovate as it relates to, you know, real-time AI generation, innovate in terms of the editorial algorithm and event detection. And now the learnings and complexities that we had to solve in this first vertical will be able to be scaled to other sectors. And the goal is to do that in collaboration with information and in, in news companies rather than us going directly to, to the consumer. That's really cool. So using machine learning, you're really trying to identify patterns, shifts in the data in the industry in real time and then generate articles through that. I'm really interested in more of right now with your collaboration with Stat News. How are they producing articles? Is this something where does the human in the loop part basically come into? Is that before are these articles automatically generated based on uh, shifts in data or they use the data to figure out and then report on the stories? Yeah, so right now, specifically what we are doing is looking at the drug development and clinical trials process. So it's a heavy regulated industry, which means that as a biotech or pharma company, you have to follow certain disclosure and reporting procedures. And so there's a, a wealth of data that is publicly available on the regulation and clinical side. But the problem there is that there's thousands of updates to clinical trials and drug development every single day. Not all of those updates are relevant, but those that are can be significant stories and impactful for the industry in general. So the process of the humans is to first 
it starts with the humans and throughout the process, there's different human checkpoints. And so it starts by sitting down with specialized journalists and, and doing the process of knowledge transfer, which is tell me what's an, a noteworthy occurrence for you based on this data, this report that is right in front of you. And then we document the different types of occurrences that can happen. So for example, there's a major shift in the number of the patients that a pharma company is testing a new drug on. That has a very specific meaning. And just as a side note, you know, in that example that I just mentioned, that's usually a red flag if you're testing a drug and then say, wait a second, I need more people. One of the interpretations that are learned from interacting with journalists is that it could mean that the companies are getting statistical significance on the sample of initial patients, so you need to increase it. And so there's a correlation between those types of events and then the likelihood of the drug not working. So how do we get this as domain agnostic computational journalists? How do we get this expertise? It's by working with the journalists. And this is the first step, which is the event detection and the, you know, the editorial algorithmic development of detecting whether or not it's relevant. So this is the news gathering piece of the machine. The second piece of the machine is, okay, you have this event, you have all of the data points. How do you articulate it into a narrative or a story? And it could be a little alert that is written, a summary, a bigger story. As you add more content and as, as you expand, the, the output becomes more complex. But there's the definition of what should the story structure look like. And then there's the process of collecting preference data from journalists into the, the model training approach to tell from an editorial standpoint, a journalist thinks that. But perhaps the biggest innovation is to augment that editorial lens that the human provide embedding editorial principles into a secondary model that is fact-checking against a rubric. And what that means is that as we are generating a new piece of content, a summary, we have an AI fact check that uh, is checking the output against the raw information and it's looking at, okay, did it reference this data point? Did it provide an explanation and dynamically flags any errors? And then that allows us to then prioritize the training data and improve it and scale the amount of data we have without having to strain the journalists on having to, to do that. And so there's a lot of human machine collaboration and then, you know, really then making sure that the test for quality is the journalist. We believe that the most sophisticated knowledge workers are journalists. And if, if the AI output meets their criteria, their quality criteria, then it means that it's good. And then we can, you know, deploy this to pharma companies and other biotech firms. And so the model is that we have joint product with STAT called STAT Trials Pulse that uses all of this technology and then we monetize it together. Wow. Okay. I feel like this is a classic example of how AI and humans can collaborate together to make the news and having humans constantly in the loop informing everything. You know, I've just been blown away by the whole wealth of knowledge that you've brought and the expertise in actually thinking about this nuanced way of understanding LLMs. And before we go, you know, I just very curious, the man behind having all of these being one of the pioneers about it in AI in journalism. I'm curious to know how are you using AI in your life? Any fun tools or use cases that you've come across that has made an impact to the way AI is impacting you? I think, you know, systems like ChatGPT are amazing and help you have a, an understanding of, of different aspects of your life. So from scenario planning, it's a fun exercise to do on tools like ChatGPT, where it's basically you present different scenarios or different hypotheses for, let's say, you know, audience engagement, or if you're not able to reach certain goals or revenue or any variables that you want to think about and then having the AI come up with different views of the future to help you with uh, strategic planning. So this idea of future casting of imagining futures and then 
okay, if we are not able to solve this problem, what are the consequences? And these systems do it really well. And then the, the second thing that is actually really fun is simulating debates and interviews where you can simulate diverse, different conversations. Think about it as you have to present to a, a client or you are interviewing a subject. You can think about what are the different possible variations that the conversation can go. And I think that can also help you become a better communicator, a better journalist, a better interviewing if you have this transcribed view of what could the other person say and how do you follow up with any questions they, they may have. Those are some really cool use cases in terms of like having like a board of advisor giving you uh, points of views that you may not come across. Yeah, it's uh, it's really good for uh, for your own awareness where you can basically objectively remove yourself from the situation Let's say you have, uh, I don't know, an argument with a family member or, or a friend and, um, you know, you want to really learn, like, how should I have behaved in this situation? And so I think it's really interesting as a, also as a, a tool that helps you learn about how to communicate, how to interact with others, although you are interacting with a machine. Yeah, interesting. A tool that helps you also like, yeah, develop personally, build those key interpersonal skills. Well, it's really great to kind of hear all about the use cases about work and now how it's been helping you personally as well. Francesco, I really enjoyed this whole conversation, really getting deep in this nuanced perspective that you brought to large language models, I think was really, really important for us as a news industry to be validated, first of all, that there is a lot of the news industry plays a very important role in the future going forward to help sustain the AI industry as well. And just keeping in mind all of the key perspectives that we need to be looking out for in terms of how collaboration with this tech is so important. And it's not a media versus tech narrative that needs to be perpetuated. And thank you so much for joining me and taking the time. And I am really looking forward to all of the amazing and cool developments at Applied Excel. Thank you, Nikki. It was a pleasure having this conversation with you. That was Francesco Marconi, the CEO of Applied Excel and the author of Newsmakers, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Journalism. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots. 